the word of your Son, Jesus Christ, that gives us wisdom and a direction and insight for our life. And we pray now that the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts might be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. You can be seated. According to uh, the, the Library of Congress here in the United States, one of the ten most influential books in the United States is Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Man's Search for Meaning. And if you've read that book, uh, you know uh, why it is so powerful. Victor Frankl's Man's Search for Meaning. Because uh, Frankl was a, was a Jewish... Austrian psychiatrist who um, went through the Nazi concentration camps. And he wrote about his experience in this book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he observed as a psychiatrist how he himself was going through this unspeakable, horrific experience and how other people were going through it. And he was able to uh, discern why some people made it through and did not break down psychologically, while, while others, understandably, did break down. And uh, his conclusion was that those who made it through had this sense of a purpose for their life that was much bigger than themselves, and that they were accountable to something much bigger than just their own life. They were accountable to people they loved. They were accountable to God. They had this sense of a purpose much bigger than themselves. And that gave meaning to their life and even helped them make sense of how they were to handle their suffering and, again, that hellish, horrific experience. It's a question that we ask ourselves, isn't it? Once we get into the adolescent years and then beyond it, at all stages of life, what, what is the purpose here? What is the meaning of my life? What is God calling me to at this season of my life? Different seasons, different stages, but the the question is there. What is the purpose here? What is it that gives meaning? What is it that provides a a structure for making sense of, of my life and what God might be calling me to do? Well, Christ gives us The answer to that, Christ gives his followers an answer to that perennial question in our parable today. What is the purpose of my life? And he provides it here in the parable of the talents. The purpose of a disciple's life is to faithfully use the gifts that Christ has given you for his kingdom. That is the purpose. And there's some great encouragement in this parable, although the trajectory of it is a warning. It ends with a very sober warning, but let's not get there first. Let's talk about the encouragement here. The, the encouraging is that uh, encouraging thought is that every servant gets at least one talent. Every follower of Christ gets at least one talent, one uh, invaluable gift. A talent, the Greek word here is talaton, 
the talent in Jesus' day was the highest form of currency, and it was the most valuable form of currency. So just to possess one talent was to have an, a great deal of money. So a single talent was worth five to 6,000 denarii, which was a day's wage for the average worker. Five to 6,000 denarii, one talent. So it'd be the equivalent of like 13 to 16 years worth of work. Uh, the wage equivalent to about that much worth of work. One single talent was it. So I don't know about you, but if somebody gave me 13 years worth of wage uh, for the average U.S. worker, I would be happy with that. That's like $750,000 or something like that. So I just I want you to know the context here is we're talking about enormous sums of money and enormous value here. And just one talent, you see, has great value. The man with the five talents was entrusted with incredible wealth. But the man with just one talent also was entrusted with something very significant and would have been considered in Jesus' day a wealthy man. So, The New Testament teaches that the ascended Christ gives every one of his followers, every believer, a gift to build up the body of Christ and to use not only in the context of the community, but he gives gifts and then he gives opportunities for good works outside of the context of the community for his glory, to use for his glory. But every member of the body of Christ has a gift. And some of these gifts uh, are what I would call upfront gifts, like what I'm doing right now. Teaching, preaching, upfront gifts. Then there are, there are some gifts that are evidence of supernatural empowerment in a pretty dramatic way. As you look at like 1 Corinthians chapter, what is it, 11, 12, where he begins to talk about these gifts and he has these gifts list and, and he talks there about miracles of of gifts of healing and, and gifts of working miracles. Now, those are evidence of a supernatural power at work. They're kind of spectacular gifts. So you have these upfront gifts and you have these spectacular gifts. But then as you look in the New Testament through these gift lists, there are other gifts that are more quiet and background gifts. But they're all important. They're all significant. They all have equal value. Gifts like generosity. Romans speaks about that. Romans talks about gifts of generosity, acts of mercy, Romans 12. Or in 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, gifts of service and gifts of hospitality. And again, the point is that sometimes we prize these upfront gifts and these, these uh, more spectacular gifts, but the New Testament is teaching us all along that every gift is valuable in God's sight. They're all coming from the same source, the grace of God. And they're all to be used for the same end, to serve others and to build them up. Every one of these gifts is valuable. Uh, Peter says, the Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 4.10, As each has received a gift, listen, please, use it to serve one another. As each has received a gift, Use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace in order that in everything God might be glorified. So we all have gifts 
We're to use them to build each other up. And then uh, Christ calls us all to good works to serve one another in the community and outside the community of faith. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5. Jesus says, do not hide your light. Do not put your, put your light under a bushel. Here, he says, basically, don't hide your talent. In Matthew 5, don't hide the light that I have given to you. You have this light. You have this relationship with the living God. And, and, and so he says, do not hide this, but let your light shine before others. How am I going to do that, Lord, out in the world, in the dark world? How am I going to let my light shine? He answers, so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. It is through good works that the light of God, the light of Christ in us, shines in a dark world. This is what we need to be known for, brothers and sisters, in the world in very dark times. We should be known to be good people who do good works, loving things for our neighbors and for our family. So people see that because it is a dark time in many ways in our world today. There's great darkness. There's, there's, there's corruption. We're called to be salt and light. And, and, and when, there's, um, when light shines in the darkness, it shines, as the saying goes, most brightly. When you put a, a sparkling diamond up against a, a, a black piece of velvet and you set that diamond on there, that's when it shines the most. And so that's who we're called to be in this, in this world where there is a great deal of darkness. And so Christ has given us gifts and he has given us opportunities to perform good works every day. And so some have great gifts. Some people are five talent people. I mean, they got a lot of ability. They got a lot of great gifts. They, they have a large platform to exercise these gifts. And they also have a great deal of responsibility because they have five talents. Some people have two talents. Some of us are happy just to have one talent, but it's a valuable thing that Christ gives his people. Every gift, every ability, every opportunity is valuable in the eyes of Christ. I mean, right after this, he talks about the sheep and the goats, and he says, if you just give a cup of water in my name, <laughs> that's a blessing. That's valuable. This is very important for us. To remember, especially some, some of you who are younger, to understand that every gift and every opportunity is valuable. Because we are growing up, you are growing up, and we who are older are living in this culture that prizes, as uh, Zach Eswine, uh, a pastor here, some of you know, he teaches at Covenant too, and he's fond of saying this, but he's like, you know, our culture prizes uh, doing famous fast things efficiently. Famous fast things efficiently. And that's what gets attention. That's what gets the likes. That's what can cause you to go viral if you do something big, spectacular, bold, famous, fast. And the world says if you, if you do those things and then you gotta keep doing those kinds of things, then we will affirm your, your worth and your value. And we can be tempted to believe that. And as a young person, that, you can begin to chase that kind of 
that shiny object out there. But as Zach Eswine says, almost everything in life that truly matters requires you to do hidden things over a long period of time with Jesus. The things that's not going to cause the crowds to go ooh and awe. Things like learning to love. That's a lifetime. That involves hidden things. Quiet things. Loving your spouse. Loving your children. Being a person of integrity. Hidden things over a long period of time. It counts. And Christ has given us this purpose as disciples. To be faithful to what he has, the talent he's given us, and the opportunities for good. So that's point number one. Everyone gets a gift. And it's all valuable. Point number two. Everyone is accountable for this before God, before Christ. Everyone's accountable. Now, remember that the context here, we saw it last week, the context of Matthew 25 is Jesus talking about how to prepare to meet him, how to prepare for the second coming, most specifically. And the temptation will be, because his coming is delayed, that we began to to get off track we began to get lazy. We began to get distracted. We began to buy into what the world says is your meaning and your purpose and forget what Christ has told us. And so how do we prepare for his second coming? And, and again, there's encouragement here right away at the beginning of this because he says that when he comes, when the master comes, he's going to reward faithful servants. And he who received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, a hundred percent profit, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents here. Look, behold, that's the word here, the word that's being used. Look at this. He's enthusiastic about what he's been able to do. Look at this, Master. I have five talents more. One commentator said it's like he's come in with one bag of gold filled of uh, five talents, sets it on the table, and then he brings out the other bag of gold. Look at what I've been able to do. He's enthusiastic about it. The commentator said, imagine the man's eyes are sparkling. He's bubbling over with enthusiasm as if he's inviting the master to start counting so that we can together celebrate the gift that you've given to me and, and how it's been multiplied. Enthusiasm and joy for the work of Christ. And then the servant with the two talents, same thing. He, he was faithful. He had less, but, to the, but, but, but he was faithful to the same degree as the one who had more. It's not about how much, it's about what you do with it. And he also was able to double the talent. And he also was bubbling over with enthusiasm because he says the same thing. Here, look at what I've done by your Grace, because the gift is a grace. He didn't earn this. It was given to him. He's a steward of it. And then both of these servants hear the same wonderful response of their master. Well done, good and faithful servant, because you've been faithful with a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. The joy of your master. Christian faith is a matter of joy. It's working for or from joy. It's working for joy. It, 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 is, it is 
and people in the world don't understand this, and sometimes we forget this, that, that this work that we are called to do is a great privilege, to work for the Master, and uh, to be able to witness to Him through word and deed is a great privilege and a great joy. And, and, and then we can look forward to joy with Jesus, unspeakable joy, after this journey is over. It's like going on a long journey, isn't it? Because sometimes long journeys are rough and sometimes long journeys are very difficult. When we go out to out west to Montana, we used to drive out there. We're going to do it again next summer. It's a 24 to 27 hour trip in the minivan with the kids. Sometimes we take the pets. <laughs> it's chaotic. It can be difficult. There are stops along the way that delay there's been times where, you know, there's fighting in the back of the van. There's been times when we're not sure we're going to make it because we think we're going to run out of gas. The journey can be difficult sometimes. But then when we get there to our destination, you see, it's worth it. Because we go to a beautiful place and we're there with people we love. And it's a time of joy. And so... Jesus is saying, he's, he, he's encouraging his apostles here. He's encouraging us. This is what you have to look forward to, being in my presence in, full, in, a, in a place of fullness of joy. Last Sunday we saw that he compared heaven to a wedding feast. This is going to be a time of celebration. It will be worth it in the end. When we hear him say, well done, good and faithful servant. But then the warning comes. The warning comes. It comes with the figure of the unfaithful servant who did nothing with the talent he was given, nothing with the gifts God gave him. He wasted the opportunity. And I want you to notice here the excuse that this servant gave, because I think this is a key, if not the key to the parable. And it comes in verse 24, if you want to look at it there. Master, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were, you could translate that, a rough man, a hard man. It, it, it is used sometimes to talk about violent men. I knew that you were a hard man. And then he accuses him of being a dishonest master. He says that you reap where you don't sow and you gather where there is no, uh, where, where you did not scatter seed. So you're harsh. I know that you're harsh and I know that you're unfair. And so I was afraid. So he's, he's, not, he, he's pointing the finger of blame to the master. This is, this is on you for your character. Does this sound like the master who just said to those who are faithful, enter into my joy, let's celebrate, let's have a party? Does this sound, does he sound like he's not fair when he says, you've worked and now I'm going to double, I'm going to, I'm going to trust you rather with, with more? Uh, the, the problem with this wicked servant here is this. He doesn't really know the master. He, he, he is mischaracterizing the master. He doesn't know him. The, the, the problem here is, is his attitude towards the master. He doesn't understand the intention of the master. And so he makes this rather lame excuse. Well, I, I was afraid of you, and so I hid the money, and the master says, well, then why didn't, if you're afraid of me, why didn't you at least invest it? 
Well, the consequence for this unfaithful servant is as serious and as sober as it can get. He's cast into outer darkness in the place where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Cast into outer darkness. And you might say, well, that doesn't seem like the punishment fits the crime. I mean, this guy, it's not like he committed murder. It's not like he stole anything. He didn't do anything horrific. He just did not use what the master gave him. So maybe the punishment doesn't fit the crime. Does he really deserve to be cast out into outer darkness? But I think here what Jesus is doing is he's giving us a real picture of the essence of sin, the the essence of rebellion towards God. It doesn't always involve like these heinous sins. The essence of it is you're given a precious gift from God, but you don't show any gratitude for it. You're not interested in God. You're going to just do with it what you please. Not to further at all the entrance of God. Not interested in God or his kingdom. So it's, it's like this. And Tim Keller gave this example. He said, it's, it's like, imagine a widow, a poor widow who's raised a son. And she's sacrificed so much for this son. And she's taught him to be a good person. You know, don't. Don't steal, don't kill. If you get married, don't commit adultery. The Ten Commandments, don't do these things. And she just drills him with that as, he's, as, as she's raising him. And then um, she sends him, works very hard to get him into a good, good school, a good area in the community where he can go to school. She doesn't have a whole lot of money. It's a struggle for her. And then she's able to send him to a good college. And uh, he graduates from college and he becomes a successful businessman. But he doesn't have hardly anything to do with his mother. And um, maybe occasionally he'll send her a card. But he doesn't visit her. He doesn't call her. He's not involved in her life. And he's, he does not really care about what's going on with her, her interest. And Keller says, now, if you were to talk to a man like this and say, well, you know, how's your relationship with your mother? And he said, well, I don't really have anything to do with her. And you kind of look at him like, oh, really? You know. He said, well, you know, I'm a, I'm a good person. I don't steal. I don't commit adultery. I don't lie. I'm a good man. But it's just, you know, my mom and I have grown apart. And I don't really have much to do with her. You'd probably think there's something off there, morally, even though he'd not committed these kind of terrible sins, worse sins. But the essence of it is that he doesn't really have any gratitude to the one who gave him so much. And he's living his life for himself. And so Keller points out that, you know, if God is the one who's given us so much, he's given us life, he's given up his son, Jesus Christ, then we do owe him our life. We owe him everything. If God has given us talent, if he's given us ability, if he's given us opportunity... If there's a God who's given of himself to you on the cross to pay for the forgiveness of all your sins, it's not enough to say, well, I'm a a good enough person, but I don't really want anything to do with you. I'm going to just keep what you've given to me for myself. That's not enough. And so Christ warns that those who are turning from God in this way, they're going away from God. This This is meant to be a warning so that we don't do this. 
If you're going towards the darkness, if you're walking away from the light, if you're saying to God, kind of stiff-arming God, I don't really want to live for you, I don't want a relationship with you, if you, if you trend that way, then ultimately you're going to experience outer darkness. That's the judgment of God. It's inexorable. It's like a law. It, it's like stepping off the top of the arch. There's a law there that you're not going to be able to defeat. And the sober warning here is that if you're going against God, away from God, you're going to end up in this state. But the call here is not to do this. It's gracious that Christ is is offering this warning because he does not will us to be apart from him for eternity, but he wants us to repent and turn to him. So, faithful service for Christ is evidence that we belong to him. We're not saved by our faithful service, but it's evidence that we belong to him. And uh, we cannot do this in our own strength, and we cannot do this perfectly, and we will not do this perfectly. We can't do this in our own strength. We need the grace of God to help us. We need to be motivated by the right things, which is love for Christ. And in fact, the next chapter, after Matthew 25, Jesus says to his disciples, he's been teaching these things that are encouraging but also sobering, and then he gives the motivation when he begins to talk about his crucifixion. He says the Son of Man is going to be crucified. And then a few days later, he is at the table with his disciples and he says, this body is given for you. This blood is given for your sins. So he cleanses us when we fail in these things. He provides the motivation at the cross so that we might pursue these things. And so, brothers and sisters, uh, just a reminder to be faithful with what God has given you to do, even in the midst of difficulty. This is our purpose. This is our purpose. There's a story of a man named Clarence Jordan, who in the 1940s in Georgia, he started this farm. He's a Christian. He started this farm to, to be a haven for, um, for racial harmony on Christian principles. He wanted the races to come together and work together on this farm. And he started this in the 40s, and then in the 50s, at some point, I think it was 1954, the Ku Klux Klan at night came onto his farm and burned it down, all but his own house. And while that was going on, he heard a voice he recognized. It was the voice of a newspaper reporter in town that was part of this mob. The next day, this newspaper reporter showed up and uh, there was Dr. Jordan out in the field plowing and sowing, planting seed. And this reporter came up to him and said, hey, I'm sorry to hear about this farm and what happened in the fire. And I'm just here to cover the story about you closing this farm down. And Dr. Jordan said, didn't say anything. And then uh, he just kept planting. And then the reporter said, um, you know, 
You've been out here doing this for a number of years. It was over a decade, 13 years or so like that. And uh, you've got these graduate degrees. Dr. Jordan, he had a degree in New Testament Greek. He said, uh, but, you, you know, you, you've worked at it hard for about 13, 14 years, but now there's nothing left. So how successful do you think you've been? And at that point, Dr. Jordan stopped and he said, you don't get it. You don't understand how Christians think. We are not about being successful. We're about being faithful. And leave the results to God. And he went back to plowing and planting. And uh, from that farm came ministries like Habitat for Humanity. He was as faithful, he endured, even in the midst of difficulty. And God did something out of that that he... I don't think he lived to see the result of that. And that's how it is with us. Let's be faithful to the very end. Let's pray. Gracious God, help us to do that, to be faithful with what you've given to us, the talents, the gifts, the opportunities. We thank you that uh, you in your word encourage us to do these things. We thank you that by your spirit you empower us to do these things. And by your grace, you forgive us when we fall short. Help us to maintain the proper motivation out of love for your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. We pray this in Jesus' name and everyone said, Amen. Amen.